Hey everybody, producer Eric jumping in right at the top of this episode here just to say after this episode was recorded and before it's getting published, we had an extremely huge major Mets transaction happen. Um, nothing else bigger than this could have possibly happened after this episode was recorded. And that is the Mets traded catcher James McCann and cash considerations to the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for a player to be named later. As you know, James McCann struggled in his time as a New York Met. He didn't exactly live up to the JT Real Muto comparison that we saw in that SNY graphic in 2020. So we got Omar Narvaez, we got Tomas Nito, and we got the youngster Francisco Alvarez, and boom, that's the updated news. Now on to the normally scheduled pod. What's going on, everybody? This is Rob Pearsall, joined, of course, by my co-host, Alex Carigliano Michelli. And we are the Mets Legends cast, and it is very fun to follow the New York Mets right now. And the reason being is because it is John Mayberry Jr.'s birthday, <laughs> and he, as you know, was a known cleanup hitter for the New York Mets once upon a time. And also, more importantly... It's Taylor Teagarden's birthday. So <laughs> happy birthday to a couple of Mets legends. Not really much has happened since we saw you guys last. Uh, the Mets decided to end their offseason early with the acquisition of Justin Verlander. And that's kind of been that. Um, and that's really it. That's really the, the whole podcast, I think, Alex. We didn't miss anything, right? No, I believe that's um, I believe that's everything. You covered all the uh, important events. This is a pre-recorded podcast after all. So... Uh, fueled purely on speculation, the Mets have to be done. I mean, obviously they're not going to spend any more. Um, McGill and Peterson will probably like fight for that fifth spot in the lineup. I mean, in the rotation, maybe try a Beatty at third base and hold on. Wait a minute, I'm checking my calendar. I'm checking my calendar, and it is oh, it is twelve twenty one. So it's the 21st, almost 9 p.m. So let me just update myself on all the news. Yeah, I haven't checked in like two weeks what, what's gone on in Metsland, so I have no idea. Um, I'm assuming that they're probably announcing like a rough extension. Oh, wait, hold on. They signed Jose Peraza. Oh, thank goodness. Former Mets legend Jose Peraza, current Mets legend. Uh, welcome to the team. We're happy to hear you, um, to see you back. We're just joking, you guys. Carlos Correa is a New York Met. <laughs> so happy. <laughs> News broke late last night, or technically early this morning, which would be Wednesday morning, around 2.30, 3 a.m. John Heyman coming in with the big news that the Mets have signed Carlos Correa to a 12-year, $315 million deal. Unless you've been living under a rock like Alex and I were pretending to do, you know that Carlos Correa is a New York Met. But how did this all happen? Carlos Correa, of course, signed with the San Francisco Giants last week to a 13-year deal. But Tuesday in San Francisco, he was supposed to be introduced at Oracle Park for his new deal. And right before it was set to happen, it was scratched. The Giants reportedly found something in his medicals that they did not like, and the deal did not go through. Uh, you didn't really hear much from the Giants, from Scott Boris, Correa's agent, of course, during the day. And it was kind of a up-in-the-air type thing where you didn't know it was going to happen. And then late, late at night, John Heyman comes through with the news that Carlos Correa is a New York Met. And I think it really took everyone by surprise because it's so rare that these things happen where a deal of that magnitude just wouldn't go through. And for a new deal to be made in such a short amount of time uh, is really astounding. But Steve Cohen was reportedly in Hawaii and Scott Boris contacted him when the deal almost did not or the deal wasn't going to go through. And the time difference in, in collaboration with uh, Boris being in San Francisco and Cohen in Hawaii, they worked out a deal and Steve Cohen and the Mets get their guy. And a big thing for me, Alex, last year, post-trade deadline, was that I felt that the Mets really lacked a fulcrum piece. They really, really lacked that one big bat in their lineup. They were kind of bereft of power for most of the season beyond 
Pete Alonzo. So it kind of always felt like they were missing that big bopper besides him in the lineup. And I think that once Starling Marte went down, it just really exposed the lineup even more. So getting Carlos Correa really gives you, A, a tremendous fielder he's going to shift over to third base to accommodate his buddy Francisco Lindor. You're going to have a really strong left side of the infield. But also it gives you a guy who's a fantastic hitter, uh, former rookie of the year, former first overall pick, just an all-around really great player. And this is a big, big move for the New York Mets. And I think that it's one of those things where you've seen Steve Cohen spend since he's been Owning since he's been the owner of this team, he got Francisco Lindor two years ago. He got Max Scherzer last year, and he's continued to build this offseason. We didn't get a chance to talk about it because we didn't have a podcast last week, but as every Mets fan knows, Brandon Nimmo is back. The Mets have signed Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, as we talked about, Max Scherzer, David Robertson. The Mets have been very active on the free agent front, and Carlos Correa is no exception. And truthfully, Alex, I don't even think the Mets are done. So I just want to ask you, how did you find out? I know you were asleep when everything happened, but take me through finding out in the morning and just, you know, that reaction to, to waking up to such great news, kind of like a Christmas miracle. Well, I was, as, as you described, I was out. Uh, the Sandman had taken me in. Uh, he sprayed his little sand particles on my face and sent me to snooze land last night where I was residing heavily. And so at around 6am and full disclosure, I was, <laughs> I was scheduled to get an endoscopy uh, today and it wound up not happening because of some hospital BS. But in anticipation of it, I was also fasting at the time. So I had uh, no food or water and then no food or water for the rest of the day. And I wake up from my alarm and I just see a text from my co-teacher. Uh, my co-teacher's name is Tyreek. And I go, oh. oh. And my first thought is, oh, crap. Like, this dude's calling out today. This sucks. I'm supposed to leave early. This is going to, like, ruin everything. And I just click on his text and it's just the link to the ESPN article about Correa signing with the Giants. And it's one of those things where the combination – of of rubbing the sleepies out of your eyes, <laughs> said that for eyes. Um, <laughs> My eye, you got a good future as a pop punk singer. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I definitely this is really just a springboard for my pop punk uh, like kind of emo project. I'm really trying to get going. I'd listen to um, you. Yeah, no, thank thank you, thank you so much. Um, really, this would be like a concept album. I'm like studying. Um, but anyway, rubbing the sleep is out of my eyes and processing information that is so, um, out of nowhere that just feels like it doesn't make any sense because I went to bed (laughs) in the reality that Carlos Correa was signing with, was already signed. Like it was official done with the giants. And, uh, by that point it had been known that there were, or no, it wasn't known yet. No, yeah, by that point, because we found out the afternoon before that there were medicals um, that were flagged and the deal was stalled. It it, it was just that it was stalled. But in my head, I'm like, maybe this is just going to be dragged up a little bit. Or if something happens, maybe, you know, it maybe it definitely went through my head a little bit that maybe the Mets could be in on it because there were uh, rumors before. And really, if you like dug into the articles, like they were, they were pretty far along. Um, but you know, still going to bed with like, okay, Carlos Correa is going to be, he's a giant, like he's a giant. And then just waking up and it's not even the news that like talking with the Mets or talking with anybody, it's signing with the Mets. And then a little bit later you get the number three fifteen. No, no, it was already out three fifteen, twelve 12 years. And it just, like, I mean, really, it was like, I had to connect all the dots, but in slow motion on my head. So it really was just like, <laughs> like trying to just stay asleep and not overreact because i'm also trying not to i'm trying to conserve energy today because i wasn't going to have any water or food for uh, until like four yeah it's a long day man i mean no no food is one thing but no water i mean i get parched really easily so i was dead ass i was spongebob in 
<laughs> in SpongeBob, in that episode of SpongeBob, With like Caitlin, my wife, dome? yeah, yeah, like water. Caitlin caught me staring at the water with the I don't need it, I don't need it, like that, like I don't the, need it, the droplets running down the side of the glass, just like just like a hyper focused close up of my face with just sweat pouring down it. That's so funny, dude. That's that must have been hard. Um, but I actually yeah, then, texted Alex last night. Yeah, uh, at, that was or, the next text I morning. saw. And because I, I, I was really hoping that I would be the first person that he would see the text message from, and I, I thought that'd be a, a cool little surprise. But I was actually playing MLB the Show with my buddy, with our buddy Eric Ames, and Eric is a great guy. He edits our podcast, so. All the new and improved sounds you guys hear are all thanks to Eric, so shout out to Eric. But Eric and I were playing MLB The Show. We started a seven-game series. I was the Cleveland Guardians. He was the San Diego Padres. I did beat his ass. If he's listening to this, he can confirm. I can indeed confirm. He beat my ass real good. Nine zip. It was pretty embarrassing. Back to the show. Love you, Eric. But Eric and I had gotten off around 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. I was up for a little while longer, kind of in a twilight phase. I felt my phone go off. I see a text message from him, and it's just, bro, are you awake? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? Like, I'm thinking maybe he's like, do you want to play another game of the show? To which I was like, it's late, but I probably would have. But I, I was thinking that's what he what he wanted. And he just goes, is this real? And he sends me the John Hannon tweet, who broke the news, obviously, that it was like breaking Carlos Correa and the Mets have a deal 12 years, 315 million. And I was just like, there's no way. Cause in the, in like the little bubble on iMessage, you can't tell if it's a verified account. You can't tell like if it's the real John Heyman. So I go to his page, I'm thinking someone changed the name to John Heyman. They bought the blue check Mark and they, it was a parody thing. But I, I go to the page it, I clicked the blue check mark. It's completely real. And it took me like a little bit to kind of register that this was a real thing that's, that was happening. Like I just couldn't make heads or tails of it. It just seemed so out of the blue because it was. Obviously, early in the day, the press conference got canceled. But you're not thinking that Carlos Correa is going to end up in Met. And especially you're not thinking that's going to happen that quickly after uh, – after the thing got canceled, um, Correa actually was in uniform, in Giants uniform, reportedly, like waiting for the press conference to start, and then they canceled it. Like it was that, it was that sudden. So, but as we know, Scott Boris doesn't want to waste time. I don't think that he would have restructured the deal with the Giants at all, and clearly he didn't. He texted Steve Cohen apparently uh, saying. Correa miss came early. Let's talk. And they made the deal. So Steve Cohen is doing something that no owner has ever done before. The Mets with all their luxury tax penalties is going to raise the payroll to about 500 million now, but the Mets got their guy and Steve Cohen wants to feel the winning team. And I just Mets fans deserve this. Mets fans absolutely deserve this. On the Mets Legends Twitter account, you guys can follow us at Mets Legends. I'm sure you do if you're listening to this podcast. But I tweeted out that the Mets fans deserve this, and they do. Because for so many years, for for years upon years, previous ownership would taunt the fan base. They would gaslight the fan base, kind of making making the fans seem ungrateful for them spending money, quote-unquote. They did spend money in certain scenarios, but overall, they weren't spending the money that was adequate to field a winning team in New York. They weren't bringing in superstars. They were cutting corners, and they were basically forming top-heavy rosters that really had no chance of making a long push. And this was year after year. And I think really it came to a head mostly for me in 2019. It happened so much before that, but when they willingly let Zach Wheeler go to the Phillies on a deal that really they should have been able to afford – and turned around and signed Michael Waka and Rick Porcello to a similar annual value to what Wheeler was making and tried to push it off like they were doing something that was beneficial to the team. That was nonsense. But that's the kind of thing well, that not the even, not even just that. Did. Not even just that, but to badmouth him afterwards where they said, Absolutely. oh, well, you know, we're not going to pay him off of you know a season and a half worth of like stats. 
Yeah, they said that he parlayed like one one or two good seasons into a five year deal. No, you're right. Yeah, it might have um, just been one half season. Yeah. Ooh, I'm so mad about that. But if you're any person that watched Zach Wheeler every fifth day in 2018 and 2019, you could see that he had finally come into his own. And it happens with pitchers sometimes where it takes them a little bit of time to kind of get their footing in the major leagues. Let's not forget, Zach Wheeler missed almost two full seasons. It might have even been two full seasons with Tommy John surgery. He missed all of 2015 and I think all of 2016 as well. Came back in 17. And it's Um, not like he was exactly bad while he was pitching. He just wasn't as good, as freakishly good as Syndergaard, DeGrom, and Matt Harvey and Matt Harvey were when they premiered. Hell, even even Matt's had that like that electric first start, and he you mm-hmm. know he had put in some good starts, and he was kind of gaining his um his, like veteran points, you know, like just kind of being around a little bit longer, and then he finally had that amazing second half where he had an argument to be in the Cy Young conversation based off of that second half. He was probably better than Degrom was in that Cy Young season, at least in the second half, not total, but at least in the second half, or at least like a two month span. Like he was on to something. And the fact that they didn't recognize that right away and try to extend him after that first half season. And, but that's what happens when at the time they did not have a good analytics department because a good analytics department, a Braves front office, a Dodgers front office, um, a, a current Mets front office, they recognize that and they go, oh, no, we need this. And now we have the person who's signing the checks who actually gets it, mm-hmm. who is all about winning. Like, he, he's all about it, but somehow, and it's going to be perceived that way to, to other fans. And uh, um, I, I will concede right now while I'm making this point um, I would like to erase the record the last like from my boyhood years where I referred to the Yankees as the evil empire and that they bought their championships and recklessly spent money and that it wasn't fair Um, I take all that back I was young and naive (laughs) I was young and naive Rob don't laugh I was young and naive you know I didn't know better it's crazy that the Mets are now in a position where they're spending more than the Yankees. Like that's an absolutely insane thing that I never. So I, I, I sincerely thought that the Wilpons were just always going to own the team. Well, like, yeah, because obviously they were going to always own the team. They managed to maintain ownership of them through the Madoff aftermath, where mm-hmm. where the payroll was. There was a couple. There was a year when it was under a hundred million. I think probably a couple. Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Even 2015, I just saw a tweet about it. Someone made a tweet about it earlier today. 2014, the Mets payroll was like 84 million, and 2015 it was 101 million. So it's like it's not even like they were spent like in and the that's year they went to the World rights Series. extension on the books too. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I'm not going to cry over spilled milk. Um, I, I think once Steve Cohen bought the team, it really reset the clock. Like you can't really at this point be upset over what happened prior to him like because it's it's a losing battle right it's like you're gonna have to look at the here and now what steve cohen's vision is for the team and i think it's really come into focus like you said the mets analytics department was embarrassingly small a few a few years ago the mets have really bolstered that they've brought on a lot of really good coaches throughout their organization in regards to pitching in regards to hitting you know they brought on driveline guys that have had had that have really benefited a lot of pitchers by using driveline and they have they've brought some of these guys in that have helped that will or will it will help bolster uh their pitching depth and everything um and help develop talent better um but yeah i mean the correa deal was just amazing and, and truthfully i don't think the mets are done yet uh before we get to that point obviously earlier in the day the mets re-signed adam Ottavino which I thought was a really good move. Out of all of the impending free agents or pending free agents that the Mets had this this winter, Adam Adovino to me was always the guy that I thought would be a good fit for 2023 and beyond. And the Mets, I guess, thought so too. They brought him back. He was tremendous setting up games for Edwin Diaz in 2022. And now he's back for, I believe it is a two-year deal. 
and there is an opt out after the first year or there's there's something it's a, um, I think it's a two year deal it's a, it's the two year 15 million but I think there's a there's either an opt out or there's an option for the second year um, it's a 1 million but whatever it is out, he's back so I think uh, it's a 1 million opt out um, for the third season I think so I think it was like a two year 14 million deal but um, the math brings it to 15 million because no matter what he's at least getting one million or potentially more if they opt into that contract. If they opt out, he gets a, a bonus one million dollars, which brings it to fifteen. I think that was what the math was. Let me see. I, I have the Jeff Passion tweet right here. So, um, two-year deal, fourteen point five million. The deal includes an opt-out after twenty twenty-three and includes one million dollars in performance-based incentives per year. So okay. uh, he could opt out after next season. But I mean, Which the thing is, is okay. Adovino, yeah, but also like, like, unless he has like a tremendous year, I can't imagine he opts out. He's from New York. He's at the end of his career. I'm sure he just wants to finish his career here. I hear, I hear he likes the schools. Yeah, the Mets have a, the Mets. New York has a good school system, right? Um, a la Mike Hampton 2000 with the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> but out of, they brought Adovino back. A lot's happened in the last couple of weeks. Otto Vino, we saw you guys last. Otto Vino was the re-signing that I did not see coming because, first of all, I love Otto Vino. I get huge AJ Mets legend AJ Reed vibes mm-hmm. from him. Addison Reed, huh? Addison Reed. Jeez, oh, I, I knew that sounded wrong. Addison Reed. I got major Addison Reed, uh, Reed vibes. Where. Yeah, he's honestly kind of just as good. Um, I mean, really underrated, like for his results last year. He'd probably be like a top fifteen bullpen piece, someone who could start on a on a team that needed one. Like if they had a need for closer, he could be like a target. Um, like you could oversell him because he was that good. Uh, like if they had a little bit more bullpen depth, they reasonably could have done that to bring in like a, a really like high grade prospect or. You know, bad or whatever, because I think someone would have overpaid for him to be their closer in a midseason. He he was really really good, um, quiet, and there was no question if he was going to be like our closer too. Like there was no, it, it helped that our boy. Oh my gosh, <laughs> as Diaz. Diaz is late, and so you know he was was that good. So when we signed David Robertson, I'm like, okay, well he's just going to be our. Addison Reed replacement. I was, skepti- I was skeptical if he could be as good because he had uh, Robinson hadn't had a lot of like consecutive good years recently. Uh, he seemed like he kind of lost himself, but found himself again last year. Kind of get hit a little bit in the playoffs. Whatever. He's older. He doesn't have to be our eighth guy now. I thought he was going to be our eighth guy, but now he's he's our seventh guy and potentially potentially our sixth guy, Rob, because. I haven't seen those rumors about the White Sox and Liam Hendricks go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mets are not done. And I think that's something that like, is crazy in all of this is that, like, like, really, what's the point in stopping now for well, yeah. Colin, right? I it's mean, like, like, before I mean, this, I really got this thought, far. I know, I was still dreaming about Conforto, but I thought, yeah, that's, we're probably not getting much else. And now all cards are on the table. Or is it off the table? The cards are somewhere productive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the cards are somewhere productive. Um, before we get to Hen- Hendricks, obviously David Robertson, Adam Adovino, David Robertson is pretty much, pretty much going to take Seth Lugo's spot in the bullpen. Seth Lugo signed with the San Diego Padres. Michael Gibbon signed with the Baltimore Orioles. Trevor May signed with the Oakland Athletics. So a lot of those guys that were in the bullpen now are gone. And I believe all of the free agents are now resolved. Adovino was the last one who was a free agent from last year's bullpen core that hit free agency. So the Mets, at the end of it all, retained Edwin Diaz and Adam Adovino, who were their two most important guys out of the bullpen last year. Anyway, they essentially replaced Seth Lugo with David Robertson. Um, and they also brought in a new catcher. We'll just talk oh, about it a yeah, bit. Omar, Nar- so crazy. Omar Narvaez which I think has kind of flown under the radar a bit. But Omar Narvaez kind of puts a little bit of uh, pressure on James McCann. And I think, honestly, at this point, you're signing James. You're signing Omar Narvaez. James McCann 
you got to figure he's, he's not going to be with the team come spring training because you have now you have four catchers. You have McCann, Narvaez, you have Tomas Nito, and you have Francisco Alvarez. But I think it's a good thing that they signed Narvaez too because Francisco Alvarez, truthfully, I think needs a little bit more seasoning in AAA. We forget how young he was. Yes, he got a call up at the end of the year, but he's so young and he really can use a little bit more of a tune up. He had some surgery this winter too, so there's no reason to really throw him right into the fire to begin the season. So I think a nice tandem of Narvaez and Nito, who are both defense-forward catchers but are both good defensive catchers, gives the Mets a nice edge, especially with some new guys on the pitching staff, your Sangas, your Verlanders, your Quintanas, and your bullpen guys. So uh, I I like the move, the the Narvaez move. It's not a flashy move, and I think it's definitely been overshadowed by what's happened, obviously. But it was a good pickup. But, yeah, to go off what you were saying, Michael Michael Mayer of Metsmerized – reported this week that Liam Hendricks is is of interest for the New York Mets and I mean that would just be that would just blow the doors off of this team and this bullpen because Liam Hendricks is one of the best relievers in baseball he could really give you he could be a seventh or eighth inning guy for you he could close if he needs to it could give Edwin Diaz a little bit of a break the Mets really leaned heavy on Edwin Diaz in 2022. It could give them another guy out there that they could close games with going forward. Um, Hendricks obviously is making a lot of money, and he has an interesting clause in his contract that if he gets traded, his his deal becomes a two-year deal. So I think if he stays with the White Sox, he can hit free agency after this year. Um, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but if he gets traded – it turns into a two-year, $29 million deal. So the Mets would be taking on two years and almost $30 million. But you are getting one of the best relievers in baseball. So uh, Liam Hendricks and the Mets, definitely a possibility. We'll see what happens. Billy Epler, the Mets general manager, said yesterday when introducing Justin Verlander at City Fields, when he was talking to the media afterwards, that he joked when someone asked if the Mets were done making moves, he said, I hope you guys don't have any traveling plans this week. And the Mets have signed out of Vino. They've signed Correa since then, but it uh, doesn't seem like they're done. Michael Mayer also reported that they are not done. So I think you're going to see a couple more moves and Hendricks could very well be a guy that the Mets could target. So. Yeah. You, and you were correct about those terms with um, Hendricks' uh, contract with the, with the contract being triggered, the, the option for being triggered if he gets traded um, yeah, I mean, it would just be so terrific. Take obviously, um, obviously Diaz gets some heat taken off of him. Not that he was really feeling it, but it just means, you know, we heard from multiple, um, bullpen pitchers last year that the reason why they were so successful late into the year, uh, was that they all felt rested and that a lot of these guys you saw it in the past, even with the less effective, uh, relievers, They'd, they'd rack up like 70 plus, 80 plus innings by the end of appearances by the end of the season where it, it, would, it was just so insane and they're, they're tired and they're blowing in at the end of the year. And so just the fact that they could all be that well rested and having that much depth in this uh, bullpen, which uh, bring in Hendricks, you get strong 2015 Royals vibes out of it. I mean, and I feel like the White Sox. Like this does not feel far fetched to me at all. I, I I think I would I believe that this was something that could happen before we signed Correa because it just feels like a good matchup. It just feels like a you look at the White Sox and they don't really have a true second baseman. They don't really have a true left fielder. So I could see Kana or um, Escobar, and now that with Correa it seems more likely Escobar uh, being a fit for them to play at second base. And throw in their top prospect. They have one top prospect rated in the top 100. He is a shortstop. Uh, they have Will Anderson, but you, ne- you can never have too much depth there. Um, so Ronnie Mauricio, I think, makes sense there too because he's someone who's close to the majors. Um, Escobar would make sense because they want to improve their team immediately. And whether that um, you know Vientos could be a fit too because. They lost. They lost their uh, first baseman, and he, but he's. I you know he seems like he could have a ceiling. You know maybe they might project more out of him, but Vientos is still a fit. And hell, I mean if they could find, I feel like they look set at catcher. But there's a past, there's a history with 
James McCann. So if he's included in that deal, it just, there's a lot of avenues on it that makes sense. And where I think it makes sense for both teams. It's just, I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting to me because I never really know what the White Sox are doing. Like, like approach wise. Oh no, Wiesendorf sucks. Yeah, and also like, yeah, they they signed Andrew Benintendi. I thought that was a, a a vast overpay for someone of like his caliber. I mean, he's he's not a bad player, but is he a difference maker? Like, should he have been paid that much money? Like, probably not. I think it was kind of one of those things, like very Will Will Ponyan, if you will, like where you're like, oh look, we're spending. Like we we you know we got Andrew Benintendi. What more do you guys want? You know, it's like. Like Benintendi would maybe be a piece like it, he was for the Yankees last year, where he's a supplemental piece that you're going to use for the playoff push. Like he's not your marquee signing. They lost Jose Abreu, and then if they trade Hendricks, it's like you're trading one of the the best relievers in baseball. So I don't know what you're doing. Uh, my only concern is just like I don't really know how much value like Vientos, Mauricio, or McCann really carry. Um, I think Vientos like could probably be a decent hitter. Like he's probably limited to being a DH. He's not a really good fielder. I guess like you could like you could have him play third base or first base, but he's not excellent. And Ronnie Mauricio is ha- like, he had a really good, he's had a really good winter so far. He's playing winter ball. Um, but he's another guy that's like kind of perplexing. Like he's really fallen very far in prospect rankings. But with that being said, it's like if the Mets are willing to take on the entire contract of Liam Hendricks, then maybe you can get away with giving them a Ronnie Mauricio or a Mark Vientos. Um, and if you absorb like, like some of James McCann's contract also, like, you know, cause at this point, I think the Mets are pretty much done with the James McCann experiment. Is all but still just fade. They're not going to trade away. Nito is more cost control. They're not going to trade away like a top. I mean, why bring him? It's it, James McCann's redundancy. His, his defense is overrated and he's not really that great. His best, his best attribute is that he's good at throwing at second, which is a good attribute. He's got a strong arm, still can't be parlayed into power because he just doesn't make good contact. Um, but maybe he had his best years with like the White Sox. So, you know, maybe that's something that makes sense for them, you know? Yeah. I mean, it would be awesome to see Liam Hendricks. There are a couple, and I'll ask you this question after you know I bring it up, but how I would really like to see the Mets kind of finish off their offseason is I don't think Conforto is going to be back. Uh, Anthony DeComo pretty much like all but confirmed that like Conforto really needs to go somewhere where he can reestablish some value for himself after missing all of 2022 and coming off that shoulder injury. So he probably needs to go somewhere and start every day, which I guess like, maybe could happen in New York, but you also have Mark Canna. Like you have Jeff McNeil that could play a little bit of outfield. Like, so you don't necessarily need Conforto. So I don't think that's going to happen, but I mean, crazier things have happened that we've seen with Correa. Um, but you have a couple guys out there that like, I really like Adam Duvall. I think that Adam Duvall would be like a really good acquisition. He's a good defensive outfielder. He could play all three outfield positions and he would be a good, um, DH tandem with Dan Vogel back because he is a right-handed hitter. Um, so I think that if you're going to have a DH tandem like they did the second half of last season, you really need to have someone that could also play the field because Darren Ruff and Dan Vogel back, like you just clog up too much of the of the roster that way. So Duval would be a big acquisition for me, and then a guy that I really like free agent wise for a relief pitcher is Matt Moore, who had a really good year with the uh, with the Texas Rangers last year. Um, Transition to the bullpen full time and really saw a lot of success. Left handed reliever would be a nice pairing with Brooks Raley out there in the Mets bullpen, would give him another lefty, an area where they kind of struggled in 2022. Um, so Matt Moore would be, I think, a really nice acquisition for them. And I think they could probably get him for like similar to what, what they got Adam Adovino for last year. So maybe like one year in like maybe like the four or five million dollar range, maybe six million dollar range. And I think that he would be a really solid acquisition. Um, so, like Duval and Moore would be like a really good top off to this roast to this roster. But like, let's get crazy. I'm, I'm down for whatever Steve Cohen has in mind because there's no reason to be conservative at this point with the money. Like, just like just spend as much as you can, really. I know, and I still have conservative with your money brain going because all I'm thinking about is yeah, but he doesn't want to go that high. So in my head, I'm like, I'm still like putting the pieces together. Like, yeah, I mean, McCann is definitely out. No, no matter what, whether it's 
paying someone to take his contract, uh, releasing him outright, or trading him. McCann's out, so that's either thank God. So that's either that's either money that's like staying on the books or going off the books. But no matter what, that's that's that. I was I definitely I was preparing because I texted you the other day about like, hey, we need to record. Let's record tonight. You know, uh, I think it's a good opportunity before the holidays and with all the other moves to like catch up and then take another little bit of a break. Uh, and I was planning on just going full steam ahead with I wine Conforto. Like, I think it makes sense, especially because at that point I heard about the Liam Hendricks interest. So in my head, I'm like, okay, well if they trade away Canna in part of that deal, because they could totally use another outfielder. If they trade away Canna, that frees us space, uh, it makes us needing a true, outfielder who could start every day. And I'm like, well, what a great opportunity that would be for uh, Conforto. And he has so much protection in the lineup. Like he kind of came into 2021 with the expectation on him that he would be the guy. And I think that got into his head. The fact that it was a contract year, it was a year where they thought they were going to take a step up and that his offense was going to get even better after what he looked like in 2020. He was fully expected to resign and be the guy for the future for us. And so like, what a great opportunity for him to come back and protect his you know, his value without like having that burden on him, you know? And it just, it just felt like it made sense to me. It felt like it made so much sense when I was looking at that trade. Now that we have Correa and we have the ident- uh, redundancy on the infield, I do think, I do fully expect Escobar to be part of some trade. Now, I don't know if that's because I just think they don't want to pay for that redundancy because, you know, in all honesty, what a great DH option that Escobar is, and just a fifth out or fifth or sixth infielder because of Luis Guillorme. Um, having him as an option for that, like it just, I love the flexibility. I do like the opportunity though in an Escobar trade where that extra guy, like maybe you mentioned Duval, and let me acknowledge right, wait, you mentioned Duval and you mentioned Matt Moore, which I love. Like I didn't even know what he was doing. I thought he was out of the league, so. I saw news about him on Twitter. I'm like, oh, Matt Moore's a relief pitcher. And I was looking into it. I was like, holy crap, like, cool. And I, and I like that because maybe he could still go a, a couple extra innings if he has to. So I, lo- I love that fit. I love that fit. Duvall, I, I mean, we totally need another outfielder, but I kind of want to see, I'm a, I'm a huggy prospect type of dude a little bit. Um, watching Beatty have his first, at that live on TV was such an electric moment. He hits that home run. I don't want to see him go. I want to see him get at bats with the Mets. So I think there's, I don't, I don't know if they go for it, but I like the thought process of let's, let's see if Beta can be this guy first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I, I think, I don't think there's really any urgency to have to trade Beatty. Like, unless you're like, unless the angels like suck again, which I mean, they probably will. They have not been very good in the last ever. Um, and so, so like maybe, maybe you can, you keep Beatty and you can include him in a, in a deal for, for Shohei Otani. I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being a little overzealous here, but like oh, it, everything's up for Shohei grabs Otani now. Otani is totally agent. feasible for next year. He's totally, yeah, he's a free agent. So it's like, it's like, it's like if the angels are out of it mid season, they're going to want to get something for him. If they're not going to extend him, and I mean, shit, like, shit, like Brett Beatty, and you have Correa now, so you have your you have your third baseman for the next twelve years, or the next you know however amount of time he's serviceable for. Um, Beatty can become expendable in that scenario, but I don't think that you need to give him up unless you're getting someone that good. Because also Beatty, like, you might maybe experiment with him in left field and just like. Except for the fact that he's never going to be a great outfielder, but his bat might carry him. So exactly, he could be the left hand platoon to with Canna. Yeah, um, and and also like Canna or Escobar. Like if I'm if I'm the Mets front office, I don't hesitate to move them in a deal that would make sense. But also like I think it's totally okay if they keep both of those guys because it makes it makes your team very deep, um, especially Escobar, where it's like he's a switch hitter. He's a guy that could muscle up and he can he could hit. You know, he, what did he have? He had like twenty home runs, or something this year. How many home runs did he have? He yeah, had, I think he won. I think he wound up with twenty. I think he wound up with twenty. He was close. Uh, if he didn't get he twenty, was so he was good close in the it. second. He might have been nineteen. Yeah, like he was so good in September and the end of August and really into October. He was. Uh, I felt so com- com- uh, comfortable with him, like at the plate in an RBI situation at that point. 
And and he seems to like being with the Mets too. Like I don't think he's the type. I don't think he's the type to demand a trade because he's not seeing the field. I think he'll like he'll gladly accept whatever role he has because he knows he'll be contributing and they'll like him in the clubhouse. I just I mean this is Rob, the, the vibes are immaculate. They are, absolutely. These guys like each other. Yeah, and it's also like, you know, I, I had kind of brought up Conforto because like 2015 was such a special year for me and also many other Mets fans because you know, 2016, yes, they made the wild card game. That year was good. You know, you had your guys like Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman and TJ Rivera kind of step up when a lot of the other guys got injured. You know, DeGrom was out, Neil Walker was hurt, which is why TJ Rivera started the wild card game. But uh, overall, like, 2015 is the last year that the Mets were, like, really good. And they were really only good for, like, the second half of the year. But that second half push into the World Series was an unmatched feeling. Um, So I think that, like, those are guys I really hold on to, which is why, like, losing DeGrom was really hard. And, like, you know, Conforto not coming back was hard. And now, like, the Mets have no 2015 guys left on that team. So there was this part of me that really wanted to hold on to, like, that feeling of, like, this person reminds me of a, of a good time in my life. But now that it's, you know, now that I'm like, I, I see what the Mets are doing. It's, it makes it a little easier to be like, all right, like I'm okay with kind of moving past that time period in Mets history. Like, you know, we have a new owner now and I think it's, it's, it's good to move in the direction that Steve Cohen is bringing in some fresh blood, bringing in some guys that want to play here and just showing the lead that he's serious. Like this is his team. This is his ball club now and he's running it the way that he wants to run it. So, you know, let Conforto go somewhere and reestablish his value. And I'm happy for him wherever he goes. I mean, it, you know, I'll be, I will be rooting for him unless of course he goes to like the Braves or something like that or the Phillies. Ooh, but Don't put that in the world. Yeah. I, I, don't put that I, in the world cause I could, I could see the Braves fit, but the Braves don't sign big free agents. The Braves also like, haven't really done much this winter at all. Um, no, they haven't. Like, they, extend, they extend. They don't sign big free agents. They, I yeah. feel like their biggest recent free agent is Charlie Morton. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true, right? Um, I mean, Matt Olson. Like, if you want to say like he wasn't, he was an external player that they extended, but like, um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Um, anyway, yeah, so it should be exciting to see what the Mets do the rest of the way. I'm sure the next time we meet, you know, if we do a podcast next week, the Mets will have you done even more stuff that we'll keep you oh, guys yeah. in, uh, uh, up on. But I mean, you you brought it up. You brought it up earlier. You brought it up earlier that um, the the offense really fell apart when Starling Marte, who is in his 30s, his mid 30s now, when he was off the out of the lineup, and so. You bring in Correa, and now suddenly there's a reality where Marte is bad in like fourth, uh, fifth, or sixth. Mm-hmm. You know, because I could see a situation with like McNeil fifth, Marte sixth. Um, to me, it's like a like a part two of yeah. the top four of the order. You know, because I think the next four it would would work if you had to as your top four guys. Uh, this is great. I mean, I was looking at FanGraph numbers. And some like some of our guys are even better than I thought. One of the stats that they help project to see how how well a, uh, a pl- how sticky is a player's skill, like if it's going to stay. And one that they say usually like maintains itself is hard hit rate. And the four guys with the highest uh, hard hit rates now, including Correa, or top four guys, obviously, all with a minimum of eighty nine miles per hour um, exit velocity. And one of those guys is uh, Brandon Nimmo. And I totally project him. I can't project him. I'm not like that. But I could see him hitting like 20 plus home runs. I could see him hitting more doubles. He had a career high in doubles. That comes with games played. But he also hit 16 home runs, which is one off of his um, high from the juice ball era. So I just think like this, this team... It's going to be much better. There's going to be more home runs. I think Alvarez is going to hit home runs. This team's improvement is bigger than just Correa's, you know, 24 home runs he's going to hit and, you know, 280 average or whatever. Like, it's much better than that. It's just more, just a lot more runs. A lot more runs. It, it, It just feels so good. Rob, it feels so good. Yeah, man. I mean, obviously the Mets have to play the games. You know, it's a long season, but it really reminds. And, and just to kind of call back to 2015, 
it was like when the Mets got Yoana Cespedes at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. It was like it was a very similar feeling, right? Where it's like going like leading up to the trade deadline. It seems as though the Mets are getting Carlos Gomez, and it's like yeah, okay, like like that's a fine acquisition, whatever. Like I'm cool with that. That falls through. Then you're like nothing's going to happen at all. And then, like, right down to the wire, you, the Mets got Yoana Cespedes. It's a little bit of a different, like, way that it transpired for the Mets getting Correa. But it was like, Yoana Cespedes really was that missing piece in that lineup that really, like, carried that offense the rest of the way. And that was something that, like, when the Mets didn't really upgrade at the trade deadline, like, it, I was like, this, that was a bad move. Like, and maybe they just didn't have an opportunity to do it. I don't know. I wasn't in the meetings, obviously. But... It was like, you know, Darren Ruff, like Vogelback, Tyler Naquin, like it just didn't seem like it was like a, a game changing type acquisition. The Carlos Correa acquisition feels like a game changing acquisition. It feels like it feels like that player that the Mets had been missing, and it really lengthens that lineup. So it'll be interesting to see what they do the rest of the way. But yeah, I'm pretty excited, man. And I'm excited to see the you know Francisco Alvarez because he's gonna be up at some point. And even Brett Beatty, these guys are going to be in the mix. I mean, unless some crazy other trade goes down, but um, yeah, it's, it should be exciting having some of these young guys. Brandon Nimmo's locked up. Jeff McNeil's mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. off of his, his hitting title. Francisco Lindor is always so exciting. So Alonzo's um, who yeah, I'm excited, he is. Man. It's yeah, it's yeah, Crystal it's Pete, man. the feeling I got when I saw the signing. It's like even crazier than the feeling I saw. Remember when you first saw the notification that the Mets traded for Lindor? Mm-hmm. And it just felt impossible. Like, who are we? What is this? And this is somehow like, crazier than that. And I, I mean, honestly, I don't think we get Correa like without Lindor. Like for some reason, that just feels like the piece that was necessary because, especially Correa as a third baseman, he's only moving over for one player, and that's Lindor. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, and did you, know, you did you see like uh, in the athletic article? It was like like when. Scott Boris and um, like when Scott Boris like you know pulled an audible and contacted the Mets and like the deal got worked out like they were staying in the same hotel in San Francisco Correa and Boris and like when Boris like told them that the deal was done with the Mets like Correa literally like tackled Boris onto the bed and like tossed him like on the bed and stuff like that like he's super excited to join the Mets and like it's, it's, I mean, we got a glimpse of it with Javi Baez and Lindor because those guys are really good buddies too. Mm-hmm. But like getting Correa is just like a step above that. Where it's remember like how much we such- wanted. Remember how much we wanted him exactly for that for that reason, and yeah. now we have Correa instead. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane that like like we got to see Baez and Lindor, which was great. I mean, they were excellent up the middle together playing second and, and short. They were but getting, getting Correa really feels like when the Yankees got Alex Rodriguez and like shifted him to third base and they had Derek Jeter and A-Rod on that side of the, of the infield. But of course, Lindor is actually a good fielding shortstop. Whereas Derek Jeter is one of the worst fielding shortstops ever. So, ever. Um, and Correa is a good fielder too. So, Dude, um, I mean, it, imagine yeah, the days awesome. when imagine the days when Guillaume is at second. What that defense will look like? It's going to be amazing, dude. It's going to be really fun to watch. Um, but anyway, before we get going, let's remember some guys. Alex, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? How do you want to do it? Let you go first. All right, give me Switch a year as you always do, and I will think of a, a random Mets player, a Mets legend, if you will. I want, uh, I want you to really shock me. What about uh, the year of my birth, 1993? Ooh, 93. That's an era of Mets baseball I'm not super familiar with, but I probably know some guys, I got to think. Um, 93. Let's go with, and I got to check to see who was on his team. Yeah. Um, but the guy that I'm thinking of is Bill Pakoda. Bill Pakoda, which now he has like a, a sabermetric stat named after him by baseball prospectus um i don't know why it's named after him but that's a real thing uh let's see where he uh he was on the 92 mets so i was super close but he was not on the 93 mets so with that being said let's do tim bogar i want to see if he was on the 93 mets tim bogar those teams were not very good okay he was on the 93 mets tim bogar so he's going to be my legend um, those were like the those were like the the worst team money the worst uh, team money could buy years I think that was like Eddie Murray and like Brett Saberhagen and 
Like that was, I think that was the the worst team money could buy was like the ninety three Mets. Yeah, um, I've only heard bad things. <laughs> yeah, they were they were pretty bad. Like in like the like for most of the nineties. One but, of those things where like you, I, you don't learn about the ninety three Mets until you're you're like if you if you weren't watching baseball at the time, you don't learn about them until because they're so obscure that you just know nothing about them into your twenties, and it's like oh yeah, huh? Ooh, we were bad. Who are these guys? You know, there's just there's so many Mets, you know, obviously we, the namesake, there's so many Mets legends out there, people who are celebrated just because we've had so few extraordinary players in our career that a lot of just like really good guys or just like fun guys are remembered and kind of become like historic Mets. A lot of like, you know, like I don't say nobodies, but low profile names that I would see on like the Mets Monopoly board, which I had. And so to have a time period where there's really no one who's like, that celebrated you know you have like todd hunley and hojo like the the ghost of hojo like yeah they were they were rough man back then um but anyway uh who's your guy oh my guy let's see uh, well screw it uh this is gonna be such a boring one but you know what i mean i like to go for the more uh, the less obscure uh, Wilmer Flores and I, and I shout out Wilmer Flores because once upon a time we were trying him out at, at shortstop. Oh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. We were trying him out at shortstop along with Ruben Tejada. Yeah. Uh, Cause we were struggling to find some type of replacement for Jose Reyes and everyone was just so mediocre. And Wilmer Flores who has turned out to be a, a pretty solid major league hitter um, is not good defensively famously. And that's, you're going to really show you, if you're not going to be a good defensive player, you were going to show your whole ass trying to play shortstop. And he was unfortunately showing his whole ass. Yeah, he was brutal out there, man. He was not, yeah. a, I mean, he's, he's very and lanky. I love him. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, he's, he's beloved by this fan base, and rightfully so. I mean, if you cry because, you know, the Wilpons are going to trade you, it's like you must really want to be in New York. Yeah. So. I mean, he's exactly the type of player that I was just describing where like, yeah, you know, such an absence of good guy, of solid guys that some of the just more, yeah, I like him, guys are celebrated. And Wilmer Flores is, is that dude. And now we have two of the top three, two of the top five at, at, at the minimum, I mean, depending on how highly you want to rate like Trey Turner, but... I think he's the only person in their class, really. Shortstop's in the game, in the mm-hmm. same infield, for the yep. next at least nine years together. I know. Yeah, I know. It's going to be it's gonna be awesome, man. I, and like, I really didn't think that we'd be talking about the Mets signing Carlos Correa, but, I mean, here we are. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I feel like and, we have... We, this potentially could have, could have been one where we really just raved about the, the positive uncle energy of yeah, the Adam Adovino. The, the Adovino signing. Um, but anyway, we hope you guys have a great holiday season. Happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy, happy holidays, Christ- everyone. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and Bless we'll see everyone. you guys before the New Year. So we love you guys, and uh, we'll see you soon. Peace. Kisses, Bezos.